Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the newest episode of Talking Jays. I'm Jose in New York. She's Jeanette in LA. He's John in Miami. And with us, we have a special guest, Kevin in New York, who happens to be my brother. Hey, how are you guys doing? So, starting with Jeanette, how are you doing, Jeanette? Good. Um, I can't believe it took us five episodes to pull the nepotism card, but awesome. <laughs> Kevin, great to have you. Um, well, I'll call you Jevin for the rest of the <laughs> night. No, I'm kidding. It's okay. Uh, I, can, I can deal with that. It, I've been called worse. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so uh, it's always great to uh, get back together with all of you guys. So let's see what the night has in store. John, how are you today? I don't think uh, it's. I don't think I could be better. You know, um, started doing the uh, working out thing recently. Um, the the kids are asleep um you know we got we we're doing this podcast a little earlier than usual so um all things considered really well thanks and i'm glad we got kevin uh joining us as well well i thank you guys for inviting me i really appreciate it what's new with you oh what's new with me well recently this weekend i've been watching a lot of sports like soccer because that's the only thing that we can actually watch it. But at the same time, it's one of my favorite sports. And I've been following like the leagues and all over the world because I've just been interested in soccer. I played it ever since I was young. And yeah, I really enjoy watching the games. I have the patience to watch it. And I have fun watching these games. Now, I know that you happen to start looking at more worldwide teams. But what teams is it that you normally root for? Oh, Barcelona and uh, Arsenal. And I know, um, is, there any, is there any particular thing that you're looking forward to this season? Well, I'm trying to see, I'm trying to uh, watch Barcelona and see if they can get to first place to win the championship. But right now, they tied the game recently, and I was like, damn, I thought it was going to win it. Because they were winning one nothing, and all of a sudden, they just tied the game for one uh, penalty kick. And I was like, shit. <laughs> Jeanette, how about you? I know you're in LA. Do you follow soccer as well? I know uh, names, certain teams, certain leagues, but I am not a diehard soccer person. I caught it late in life. Um, I think you know I'm a I would I'm just a fair weather soccer fan. World Cup comes around, I will partake in the pools to gamble. Um, I do have three teams that I will in in those moments I will follow like on the men's side it's USA begrudgingly Mexico because if I don't my mom will you know kick you know lock me out of the house all the Fred Flintstone (laughs) yes uh, I will incur so much wrath so I don't want to do that and then uh, Germany Germany is like my my team the machine diamond shaft Uh, they're falling on hard times lately um, I believe they can get it together um, for whenever, I guess, Cutter, when, when that comes around, if it ever happens. Uh, but yes, you know, uh, I like to go against like the big uh, countries. Uh, I mean, weird because Germany is one of like the favorites, but I always go against Argentina. I love to see them fail in those moments. I love to laugh at Messi. Sorry, Kevin. Um, and then on the women's side, my only, it's all about the women's national team. It's the only, those ladies, I will always root for them. I don't care about Brazil. I don't care about up and coming Canada and 
you know, whatever, England, you know, go kick rock. It's all about the USA. Uh, so right now, like, that that's all. That's it. That's like my total allegiance right there when it comes to soccer. You and I find each, uh, find each other on opposite ends because I'm not rooting for the women's national team. I'm rooting for the Japanese women's national team. Oh, really? Simply because <laughs> you got to let the other people win. <laughs> you got to... Brazil keeps on getting their, 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 their heads rocked. Wait, <laughs> wait. Aren't aren't you a Yankee fan? Don't you guys like to bust out 27 no. chips and blah, blah, blah? You guys have one third of the of the chips and, you know, the MLB history. But I believe it's 28, but we, we won't count the last one from, 19, from 2009, but that's fine. Jeanette just boxed you in, buddy. Yeah. No, I root for, I like the Japanese women's team because I'm a big fan of Captain Tsubasa, the anime. So I figured the closest thing I'll ever have to see that is pretty much rooting for the Japanese women's soccer team, which actually happens to be Hope Solo when Hope Solo started talking trash about all her teammates. So I said, screw that. Screw you, Hope Solo. I'm rooting for Team Japan. Team I know, but still. <laughs> John, do you, do you have any soccer interests? I know you're in Miami, so you got all over all these teams. I don't really, uh, unfortunately. So you're not you're not rooting for the Orlando, the Orlando. Yeah. I don't know what do they call Orlando. Uh, oh Orlando FC or, or, yeah. or, or Miami. We got our Miami FC, but I I haven't been motivated yet to to even try to catch Inter Miami, right? Or did I get it wrong? Inter Miami. So I haven't been motivated enough to to watch it, um, to watch it for any any length of time. I'll catch some soccer on TV if I'm like scanning channels. Uh, however, I'm as of six months ago, I I did the um, cord cutting, so it's not it's not as conducive to to flipping channels and and flipping between my 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 favorites like I used to when I had uh, Comcast, where I would just go to my you know I'd filter my 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 list my uh, cable guide by things that not only not only hd but then things that that were in hd that i subscribed to and that were in my favorites so you had the ability to like filter in that way and then i could easily go back and forth and use the back button and the back button would give me like a history of like seven it was from that standpoint it was a much better experience and then i could hop and see the sports i wanted to now with this whole hulu and these independent things i can't get to them i I just, I'm like, no, forget it. It takes too long. It does this. I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to continue watching my Korean rom-coms. You know what I like to do from, on occasion regarding soccer? I like to know What's what that? the score is beforehand. And that way I can fast forward to each goal that's scored or know whether this is going to be a no-no game. I'm like, I'm done with this game. Uh, forget it. Because every time I watch a soccer game, it usually tends to be nil-nil or 1-1. And I'm like, do I really want to sit? Do I really want to spend three hours of my time watching a full game if hours. I don't if I don't have any interest in these teams? But I know that they have some great superstars playing. So sometimes I would do that. Otherwise, if I got Kevin watching a soccer game, I'll sit down and watch it with him. Where there's like a, it happens to be one of the World Cup games or something where it's like a a game of major importance, like La Copa de Rey when it's um the in the in La Liga, this in the Spanish league, like I'll definitely watch that. But 
normally I I like to go in knowing, you know, predicting what's gonna happen. Going, oh, it's this game was like five one. Sure, I'll watch it so that way I can fast forward in between and go. Okay, so that was done with skill. That was just a cheap goal. That was done through a penalty kick. Because sometimes, man, if you get some crappy announcers, oh, you're yeah. just going to go to sleep. That's definitely true. That is the problem. Some of the announcers, they just suck the life out of the sport. That's why I can't watch Mexican League soccer. or Because they're all incredibly, like, I love the dramatic nature of it. It's one of the things that separates the Latin announcers from, you know, everybody else. But when it's like Mexico versus anybody, the homerism is like so apparent and the like the sarcastic tone with which they talk about, you know, the team the team from El Salvador, Colombia, the United States, like you hear it in their voice, like how they sing song, like their names, like um who's the one guy that used to have the, the dreadlocks on the national team? Uh no, no, so like it doesn't matter, like Sebastian Leyet. It's like you know how to say the name, say legit. Like say it properly, or like Jordan Maurice. It's like really, bro. So like, the, or like the way they would talk about Landon Donovan, and it's like, you know. So so I get it, but then it's like if it was the other way, if it was you know a white announcer doing that to a Mexican player, it would be like we gotta get him fired. He's so disrespectful. He's anti-brown people. So. It's like, if you can, I mean, you get away with it, you get away with it, but it's like, let's, you know, where's the fair play in it? But, you know, whatever. But for me, I'm like, give me the, you know, Taylor Twellman. He's good. I like the the guys on ESPN. Um, The British one, the British guys always make it seem better. To me, it seems like more authentic and you know, I, I like that. It's like more edge of your seat, but the guys in Spanish, especially if they're sinking into the homerism, I'm like, I can't get into it. It's like... Kevin, tell Jeanette how we play FIFA soccer. Yeah, we play... What type of announcers oh, do we, we have? We usually have the Mexican announcers. <laughs> we'll give me about that. If only people can see the face Jeanette just made when she found out that we play soccer games... With the Mexican announcers instead of the English stuff. So it's guys. like El Profe, Bracamontes, <laughs> and El Perro, and those guys. That's who you guys go with for your games. Condolence. If you guys would have come out with, you know, Andres Cantor, I would have been like, oh, cool. But you guys went with like super low run. Yep. Oh, because once they start getting into the penalty box, that's when they start going in. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> they'll be speaking so fast. It's, it's like you're at an auction. <laughs> you know what? I got a question for you both then. John, who is your favorite sports announcer of all time? I'm going to go Eric Reed just because Eric Reed, because he, he um, you know, he he's the uh, local local guy for the on the local broadcast for the Heat. Um, but in terms of sports overall, 
I'm really not as as diehard as some of the other people that that you've met on on the chats and some of those guys like uh you know Streeter and this. I watch it mainly for entertainment uh entertainment purposes and um you know if my team loses I may be upset but I'll be upset like for a matter of minutes and then I move on with my life. Um I'm that type of fan. Um, I can't pull out stats. I can't, you know, I'm not going to, um, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to Homer, I'm, I'm basically going to Homer as a means of trolling, like, um, because it really doesn't, you know, impact my way, my life one way or the other so much. Uh, so, but, so I'm going to take the easy out and say, Eric Reed, uh, he's been the voice for like, I don't know how many years, maybe over 20 years. Um, and yeah, that's that's my answer. I'm sticking to it. I can almost predict your nets because I've heard her mention this one particular person, Michael Thompson. Would I be wrong in that, Jeanette? You would be because really? Los Angeles has had a confluence of great sports announcers. We have That's my favorite, but you always talk about Michael we Thompson. We have, you know, Chick Hearn with the Lakers. We had um, you know, um, with the Kings. Oh my God, I'm like so blanking. I can't believe this. Uh, give me a moment. The ultimate answer for that would be Ben Scully. Oh yeah, the Kings announcer was Bob Miller. He was so fantastic. He called both of the Kings championship wins in 2012 and 2014. Bob Miller is one of the greatest people ever. Uh, like to me, he is such a fantastic man, but without a doubt, the voice of baseball and many, many sports Um football, golf, you name it. He's been there is, of course, the wonderful Vin Scully. I watched this final game when the Dodgers beat the Colorado Rockies in a nail-biter. It came down to the ninth inning. Uh, I cried when he retired. I cried when he dedicated the song to the fans. Uh, Yeah, so it's Vin Scully, Vin Scully, Vin Scully. I am... I am absolutely shocked because I've heard you talk about Michael Thompson more than you have heard you mention Vince Cole, especially with your um, Greg Cody incident that you can listen to on our after hours, but <laughs> which is very funny because I asked you if you remember if you've ever heard the term "blue eyed soul." Um, I'll tell you a quick story. So I used to work at a at a supermarket years ago and. Um, there's this guy named Willie, Willie, Willie I used to work with that says, you hear that song right there? What you uh, what, what you won't do for love? Or what you would do for love? I go, yeah. He said, would you believe me? I took my wife to this concert and it was the, the entire room, the entire room, uh, the entire, like it was a small hall, was all African-American people. You remember? And he goes, and when we saw this white man step up on stage, everyone started booing him. And then he started singing that song. Everyone's like, shut up. <laughs> so that reminded me a little bit of a, of a, of a certain incident that you referred to on, uh, on Lauer After Hours about with Greg Cody. But going to favorite announcer, Mine has to be Phil Rizzuto just because I caught him right before they retired him because they really forced him to retire. 
But Phil Rizzuto is one just a goofball. And I absolutely love the 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 goofiness of, of him. He's almost like very much like Lee Corso. You know how Lee Corso does that does uh, the heads when he goes on um ESPN. I really love I really love how much of a goofball this guy was on there. And then you said Kevin Yurtz is Jim Crockmeyer. <laughs> no, just kidding. But I think I don't really have a favorite announcers, but I do don't like two announcers. I'll say uh, Joe Buck. I mean, that guy is just horrible. He get announcing games sometimes. And uh, who else? Um, so, uh, Michael K. Sometimes he could just be so. Uh, oh God! But I think to me, the best announcer is Matt. That's is it Matt Vasgersian. Yeah, for baseball, I say he he just knows. Like play by play to me, that's just how I feel. <laughs> I know, I know. He is so boring. Oh my god, he ruins <laughs> like baseball for me. And then because he is so boring, they have to always pair him Fox with A Rod because oh, yeah. A Rod is like the opposite of him. So A Rod will riff on like. Like just random airheaded, like like he will talk to you about like his you know when I played for this when I played for this guy and this is what we would do and yeah, and man. then Matt Vaskurgeon like and I posted about this this um past baseball like during the playoffs where he's talking about L.A. landmarks to go take a picture and he mentions the Partridge Family bus. <laughs> It is twenty really? It is twenty twenty. Really? It's twenty twenty. Nobody knows that show, right? I remember. I remember. Nobody. I don't. I don't even know where that is in Los Angeles. I wouldn't go there. But of all the places to go and like take a selfie in Los Angeles to prove you're in LA, being a tourist, no one is gonna say I want to go to the Partridge Family bus in like you know wherever wherever it may or may not be so like that guy he can go kick rocks too <laughs> oh a-rod i just remembered another guy a uh, tony romo tony romo is fantastic i haven't heard anything like that in forever and the way he's able to uh prognosticate and and you know tell you what's happened what's going to happen before it even happens is just wonderful um i like i, I it just occurred to me as you guys were talking, because I was trying to think back of people that I've heard and, and wasn't thinking too much forward. But when you guys start talking about more like Joe Buck and those guys, then it dawned on me. I was like, no, Tony Romo is the truth. I thought you would have said the Nickelodeon announcers for the recent football games that they've had, because they've been actually, they call the game far better than some of the more professional people that they got now. I'm a Tony Romo fan. <laughs> And even along those lines, um, Ian Eagle, he's great too. He does, um, you know, some of the, a few of the national games as well, like NFL and a couple basketball games. He's really great because he does put a lot of his personality into it and he will like, you know, sarcastic comments and he's really good. And then his son, who, who's um, on the Clippers broadcast team, you know, and he was on that Nickelodeon uh, play-by-play as well. He's he's really good too. So the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Also, his nickname. I also like when they uh, do the games, and uh, I, I think when he does like the basketball games, there's a guy, and he's like always calls him Bird. I think that's like Chris Webber calls him Bird. He's like, "Hey, Bird." <laughs> <laughs> 
Iron Eagle. He's like, hey, bird. He calls the, the son. The son or Iron Eagle? Iron. That's what like his uh, co co-host. I think it's Chris Weber when they do basketball. He's like, it's like you know what's going on here, bird, and it's like bird, bird, and I'm like, bird is the word. I knew, I knew you were gonna go there. I knew it. It was either gonna be All you we or me. Shot. <laughs> it was gonna be you or me that was gonna go there. I was waiting. I was waiting. I was gonna say, man, I'm gonna be the corny guy. I'm gonna go. Yeah, bird is the word, isn't it, Jeanette? Basketball announcers are really good. Like, Marv Albert was great. Yeah. Yes! He'll always do that every time something Everyone happens. loves the, uh, what's the guy He's that goes... He's on fire! What's yeah. the guy that goes, bang, um... Uh, Emeralds? No, not Emerald. <laughs> Mike, Mike Breed. Mike Breed. Everyone loves, bang! But my favorite one is Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson, the amount of enthusiasm he shows for any sports event is absolutely the best. I, I, I like him a lot. I like Gus Johnson. I forgot what... I love when he said, cold-blooded! And just when someone shot a three at the end at some NCAA tournament, it was absolutely the best. But um, three out of the four of us <laughs> saw a movie recently. Um, on a more serious note, three out of the four of us saw a full movie recently and one of us pulled Amina Kimes and referred to <laughs> Wikipedia <laughs> I just love the look she I'm getting from Jeanette right now because she knows I'm referring to her. Uh we saw Jesus and the Black Messiah. Um I That's a fine it's Judas, Judas. and the Black Messiah. <laughs> It's a fine. <laughs> yes, Judas and the Black that's right. Messiah. Wow. Two dollars. That's what. That's what. That's that's what you get for trying to Wikipedia shame. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Jeanette's side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jeanette, you, you have your number one fan right next yep. to me right now. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, I'm a peanut gallery. <laughs> now, but I was trying because I was trying to think of. What Bomani Jones said, and that's the reason why I stumbled over my words, Kevin. Or should I say Jevin? Anyways, uh, Bomani Jones said that this isn't really a biography of Fred Hampton, which shocked me. He said that this is a biography on William O'Neill. And it took, it completely blew me away because looking at it, I'm like, he's right. And you look at Lakeith Stanford having played this role and the fact that he said he needed to go to therapy for this role. It, 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 it's just... I've heard of method acting before, but, to, but the guy literally had panic attacks, seizures while playing this role. It completely blew me away. For those who are not familiar, it's about the... Um, William O'Neill working as an informant for the FBI to infiltrate the Chicago branch of the Black Panthers. And the movie, personally for me, really made me mad because Fred Hampton died at the age of 21. And you look at it as, hey, there's a 21-year-old person that didn't get to live to maturity because at 21 he felt the need or the cause to start 
creating these, um, or taking what the Black Panthers are doing in California, specifically Oakland, with breakfast and things of that nature, and he felt the need to bring that over to the to Chicago, and he started going to Latin gangs and black gangs in the neighborhood, and almost uniting them under the Black Panthers for civil rights causes. And the movie doesn't have um, good guys or bad guys. Everyone has something that you that that's wrong with them in many ways. There aren't there aren't saints. They're most they're pretty much you could say that more on my perspective. They're all sinners in many ways, and it's some of the rhetoric that Fred Hampton was saying. I completely disagreed with. But the idea that here's a man that whose civil rights leaders were all being either hung, killed, either hung, killed, assassinated, um, martyred in many ways, or even left to Africa because I think Medgar Evers was it that had left, or um, Elridge Cleaver Coolridge, I believe, left to Africa for just to be able to um, gather his mind and and all these leaders either dying or disappearing, that this 19-year-old or 21-year-old felt the need to take the baton and do something with it and lost his life to me was so... It was, it was something that was portrayed but really left me upset. And, um, John, I'll toss it to you what your opinions were on this movie when you saw it. Or if you have any opinions or hot takes on the film. Uh, um, no, not so much hot takes, but, um, I did, I did watch it. I did enjoy the, um, certainly the acting was, was phenomenal. You could see, um, and I'm, I don't commit like these details like you do to mem, you know, to memory. So, the actors and and the names of the of the characters. But, um, and by the way, I think it was uh, uh, Leroy Eldridge Cleaver who went to yeah. Algeria um, during the time. But um, but going back to the to the um, to the movie. So for me, the the acting, although it was a little slow paced for for my liking. Um, I wasn't familiar with the story at all. So, and, and I didn't become familiar with the story before, before watching it. And I purposefully did that so I could, you know, kind of, um, learn about it with a grain of salt, of course, knowing that this is a, a, uh, production based on a true story. So who, you know, it, it, it would behoove me and anybody who, who, um, watches it probably to, to get some more background, on, so you know what's what's true, what and, and what's been made up for entertainment purposes, and, and those types. And if I'm not mistaken, there was a a PBS documentary that had the, the, the portions of the interview, the only interview that um, yeah, eyes on that, the prize. Uh, uh, who was yeah, eyes on the prize. But but what's the name of the um, the real life um, William O'Neill informant? I, I, O'Neill, that's right, that O'Neill there, and and the actor did a fantastic job for me uh, expressing this this dichotomy um, 
that was happening in his in his mind, right? Which was being an informant. And again, I don't know if the real guy actually felt this way, but the way it was portrayed is you could really see the 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 torture that that the guy was in. And um I mean it's it's history now, so so I don't think there are any spoilers, but if memory serves, I read something that said that uh, shortly after that interview that he gave, um, that one and only interview that he gave, didn't he I'll commit tell you suicide? This, what happened? So it wasn't after he did the interview; it was after it, the interview aired that he went onto the interstate right. and took his life by running into traffic. That and that he was only nineteen right. years old when he got caught. Boosting cars and infiltrating the uh, Black Panthers. Right. So that seems to suggest that there was some, 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 uh, you know, something was was torturing him, right, M- mentally that that would cause him to go and and uh, and take his own life. Um, but it did leave me. It did leave me wanting to know more about uh, what actually trans, you know, transpi- transpired there. Uh, during that time, uh, try to nail down as much as you can what are facts and what is fictional in the story. One thing that came up because um, I'm on another group chat with um, it's like a movies group chat that just kicked just started off kicked off um, last week and this was the, the the first movie that they were talking about and we started talking about um, a little bit about uh, Mitchell the char- the Mitchell, Mitchell character. Because somebody, so, yeah, because somebody, he's the FBI agent who, who leaned on, on, um, on, uh, shoot, what's the, Bill what's the guy's name again? That, yeah, the O'Neill character for, to, to infiltrate, right? And it all hinged, it, it, for, for most of us when we were talking about, somebody brought up the, the, the idea that maybe this Mitchell character was a psychopath or, or a sociopath, um, to which I kind of, you know not objected but i was like well if he's going to be either one of those guys it seems to me that he he definitely had a conscious you know um because that 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 part with hoover seems to show him struggle you know with with his conscious um and that that would make him more of a sociopath than a psychopath although personally I made that distinction in the chat, but I don't think he was either one. I think he was like like all of us, a flawed person. And so at that point, he was presented with with an option: Hey, do I do I you know um, further my career? I have the the top guy in in Hoover right here in front of me. Do I further my career and and uh, go go with you know go with the flow, or do I you know stand 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 up for the principles that? up until then seemed to be uh genuine right it seemed whether 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 the black panthers were good or bad in the eyes of of the mitchell character he genuinely believed i think that they were bad for the country and so that's why he was doing those things um and it's not until that 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 uh, hoover inter- that hoover um uh, meeting that he has where you see a couple of things happen. Um, firstly, I think he he comes to the realization that he harbored some racism. It, it dawns on him at that point that 
uh, he harbored some racism leading up to that. He seemed to treat, um, uh, again, I can't commit the memory, the, the guy's name, but the informant, um, you know, uh, well, he didn't insult the guy. He didn't, he, he brought him into his home. He offered him, you know, things that might've been part of the, the play to, to get him to play ball. But up until the Hoover thing, it's, it seems to the viewer that, that this guy doesn't harbor those, those, um, racist sentiments that they position all the other police officers in the movie as being, you know, these, these racist pigs, you know, and, and I, I think they just reuse that word over and over again. And then Hoover asks him the question. And at that point you can, you can see the shock, the shock in the guy's eyes when, when it dawns on him, uh, you know, he asks him the daughter question and it dawns on him that he, he actually might be harboring some of those, some of those feelings uh, or some of those sentiments um, kind of unknowingly. Uh, I don't think it's the reason why he made the decision he made. Um, but I think that's one of the things that, that happens at that point. And then the other, of course, is that he abandons his, his, his moral compass and he abandons uh, the, what was up until that time, his, his credibility of, of, you know, why he was going after uh, the Black Panther Party and specifically the, the head of the Black Panther Party. And after that Hoover interview, all that credibility goes away because of course he sides with Hoover and and they go and and well I, for those who who haven't watched it i won't go any further but um they they perpetrate the 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 crime um even though they're fbi agents jeanette since you're from california is that it what is your experience with civil rights being taught in california because in the east coast we hardly ever touched anything we usually go cover up to martin luther king and not even Malcolm X, but really Martin Luther King is really the basis of what we're taught towards civil rights. But I know in California you had multiple civil rights leaders like Julio Cesar. Um, you have obviously uh, plenty of uh, civil rights leaders that emerged from California and even have the Black Panthers that emerged from California. Is that something that's taught in your schools as well? about the history of civil rights in California, especially ar around the 1960s? First of all, I want to say, it seems like I missed out on one hell of a movie. So I'll try to pick it up when I can. I'm sorry to let you guys down. Um, so to answer that question, I uh, a lot of the civil rights that uh, we learn is part of uh, U.S. history, but it goes up to the point where these icons of the movement, like Julio Cesar Chavez, I mean, I'm... Uh, no, Cesar Chavez, that's who we're talking about with the migrants, um, and Dolores Huerta, and, uh, you know, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Uh, these were people that were only able to carry the torch till a certain point, And, you know, then they succumbed to very early deaths. And then it was through the mastery of government that equality was reached. So thanks to Lyndon B. Johnson we are now equitable under the law, quote unquote. So that's how history was taught to us and how it's in the books. It's like these people of color, they had this really good idea, but it was actually this these white people that gifted equality to everybody. So let's acknowledge Lyndon B. Johnson. I don't think so. 
one of the great things that happened to me and might not be uh, something that happened to other people is uh, my middle school, we had uh, our science teacher in eighth grade, and she used to be a member of like those groups of she was very active in the 60s in the civil rights movement she was with she was within those people she was out there marching and protesting and she is the one that told us like your books when you guys go to your history class they're gonna tell you this this and this she's like and you'll see an occasional picture of like the police beating somebody and you know the 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 water cannons being used on people but this is what it was like to be arrested for manifestations this is what it's like to see somebody being beaten and left to die with their skull open and this is the things that we would plan and when we went to go do something we knew we might die but we were dying for a noble cause which is a point that Fred Hampton made when he was having um, his meeting with the crowns, with the leader of the crowns. He said, we should be to look, so lucky if we were to go out like Malcolm, Malcolm X, the way that he went out. Um, so when you know, you're learning these things and you have a teacher that is basically saying, when we have career day and they're bringing in LAPD and this um, FBI, CIA, Um, she's like, I will not admit them into my class because I know how much they worked against us back then and how much they continue to work against us now. She's like, they are the ones that track the movements. They know what is going on and they allow for certain things to happen just so that it's like we can bolster a case against whomever. So when you sit back and you have that going forward and you learn about, you know, fallen activists like Fred Hampton in a different way, you begin to discern like this was not just a an accidental, you know, uh, uh, like they shot us first. This was not, you know, Han, a Han Solo situation. Um, no, this was all very much premeditated what was going to go down and it's the only way that it can go down. So you have a lot of skepticism in those situations when it comes to the involvement of you know, investigations by government agencies. So that's why there is no, there is no trust, especially when at the end of the day, it comes out like, oh, this guy, you know, he's the cause of his own death, FBI investigated, um, you know, LAPD and the shooting of this guy. Uh, they followed procedure, blah, blah, blah. If you guys saw the, the OJ Simpson on FX thing, uh, you know, Johnny Cochran, when he was working on the other side and, you know, he's having that meeting with Christopher Darden or whatever it was. He's like, as long as in the report, it says officer feared for his life, that's what gets you off the hook. So that's the stuff that you're fighting against and what, you know, to, to get real change. So it's like, how do you stand a chance when within the system, it's already set up to not go your way if you're a victim? You could, you know, whatever the case may be. And I, when I was watching the movie, there was when when uh, Agent Mitchell invited Bill to his home, his explanation for why it was important to infiltrate and to suppress the movement of the Black Panthers, he says, you can't cheat your way to equality. So you can't do... So it's like, what, like to me, that struck struck me greatly because his mentality is no matter what you do either through a peaceful means like Emma, you know Martin Luther King or through a revolutionary and uh you know uh blood through the use of blood and you know 
it's you know as the black panthers would do it's like it doesn't equate to equality so if you can't get to equality by either playing within the rules or playing outside of the rules so it's like so then how do you get there is it through the benevolency of lyndon b johnson is that the only way and it's i don't know it isn't you so you do like so for us people of color we can't cheat to get ahead but other people can cheat in other ways and we have no problem with that you know january 6th comes to mind but that's me that's what i want to talk to you i want to address with you guys january 6th with this movie but kevin what impact did you get from this movie that you saw what did what lasting impacts did you feel well, when you saw this movie well first of all you hit the nail on the head when you said that we didn't really grow up with all these like civil rights movements and stuff like that because our, my school like our school Jose and I, we mostly learned about Native American history most of the time and how, like, they, even to this day, I know I'm going off a bit of a tangent. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. But I want to see where you're going with even this. Even to this day, like, Native Americans are still fighting for civil rights, even for their own land to this day. I mean, look at the NFL team, uh, let's say, the, I'm not going to call, I'm not going to say the name, but I'll say Washington, the Washington team. They it was this year that they actually this season that passed that they actually changed the name. You know what I'm saying? And, and the Cleveland and, Indians just removing, yeah, changing uh, the names eventually. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's crazy because it's like we we to this day are still fighting for equality, and even back then they they fought so much for us that it came to this point where we have some equality. But it's still not there. And it will never be there right now. And we're not ready for it right now. But maybe in the future, who knows what will happen. And this movie demonstrated, like, even back then, it's still happening now. And with, with the equality aspect, we, we still don't have equality. And I wish we lived in a perfect world where we did. But it'll never, it won't be like that, unfortunately, in our generation. So... Going back to this movie, I feel like I wish I learned more about these the, these people that were um, the civil rights yeah, movement. The civil rights movement, and also uh, what's his name, Bill. Bill. Uh, Bill. Um, O'Neill. Yeah, Bill O'Neill. Because the thing is, both of these guys were kids. And that's exactly the point that I had. That's the thing, like you know, for these. These guys just to have their opinion, and one is actually you kind of see like one is trying to survive and trying to fit in, which is Bill O'Neill mm-hmm. try to fit in and try to get ahead of life by trying to act like he's authority, and then there's one person that actually wants change, you know, and wants to see equality amongst everyone, and. Unfortunately, it just didn't end up the way they wanted to, and that's what sucks about like the the whole entire thing, you know. But I will not spoil the movie for anyone. But it's just a movie that you just go like, man, it really is thinking. But you know, you just reminded me of one thing. But I'm gonna bounce onto your point about the other movie that we watched afterwards. Yeah, so you were mentioning that they were kids. We watched the Black Klansman. Yeah, yeah, that was another great movie. 
the end of the Black Klansman, you were uh, talking. Well, don't spoil the movie. No, <laughs> the end of the Black Klansman. No, the end of the Black Klansman. They do a repertoire where they show you the kids marching in in. Oh God, what's that place in Virginia? The where Heather Hayer died. Um, Charlottesville. The if you take a look at the opposite end, the people in, in Charlottesville were young kids, mostly. At the, you know, like in their twenties, marching, spitting racist rhetoric, um, anti-Semitic rhetoric. And mm-hmm. the other perspective, here you had black people trying to take the law in their hands by trying to fight for equality. And I just look at it, and it just—that's why I was saying to you guys that I was really, really mad and really heated because. You realize maybe at some point in time the veil's lifted before your eyes and you realize what life really is? Or maybe these people on the opposite end, the ones that Donald Trump is saying uh, at the time, even though he's no longer president, Thank was God. saying that they're they're good people, they're they he saw good people. It's like what there there there's a correlation between the two and there's a and there's a that you can contrast and you can uh, compare both things, and I and part of me is like there's a link between the two because of age, but what they're fighting for is completely the opposite. And I keep on thinking about Bill O'Neill being a 19 year old, not knowing, oh my God, I don't want to spend seven years in in government prison because he wasn't going to go to a state yeah. prison. He literally committed a felony impersonating an FBI agent. And then you had Fred Hampton who's 21 years old. And you think back at yourself at 21 and you go would I be willing to die for a cause at that age? Fred Hampton says literally is saying I know I'm lucky enough if I make it to a certain age. I'm willing to die for this. And I look at it myself, I'm like, would I have been able to have that courage or would I have that belief or would I be able to muster that energy in my in my in my mind that I'm willing to put myself there? And I started having conflicting thoughts about the movie. Because it started making me go, I'm in my thirties. I that means I would have lost, I'm 38 now, I'm going to be 39. That means I would have given up 18, close to 18 years of my life. 18, 19 years of my life. Or, no, correct me, 20 years of my life. If he, no, he was 21. So basically, you already know, 18 years of my life for a cause that I believe, but not be able to see what happens from that point forward. You're willing to die for the cause, but you're not willing to see what happens after you die. And it left me really conflicted. It it really left me in a negative space and in a negative funk. And then when we watch the Black Klansman, and you're like, you're saying, look at the strides of freedom that's been made since of the Civil Rights March. And you're saying to me, we haven't gone anywhere. Because the same things that people are fighting for then is the same thing people are fighting for now. And it just, it, it really, it's gut-wrenching. Yeah, it feels like with the Black Clinton, 
it was like a blip of of improvement until you get to the end, and that's when you go like, damn, like this is just disappointing. Until this day, we're still doing this. You know, it's just like, when is it gonna go to a point where we're gonna be all right? You know, what I'm saying like everyone is gonna be okay, and people can look at each other with respect. You know, not just because of the color of their skin or anything like that. No. And yeah. And, it's terrible. And God's honest truth, I don't know I, I, if that's one of the things I kept on saying to myself. I'm like, do I write about this? Do I? How do I express the the anger that this caused? I don't, I don't know. John, you you have anything to add to that, or because you're one, you're someone that I know is very opinionated, and you have, and even you, Jeanette, you not only are. You're someone that I, I really enjoy your opinions. You're also the mother of an 18-year-old. And not to equate your son to Fred Hampton, I see your son as someone that has to fight for what he believes in and faces this discrimination as being an Hispanic person and some of the strides that he will have to make in the future because this ever-evolving world, me, not being, really, me um... thinking at 18... Oh my God! The the things the things I need to fight for, and you know, I don't know if it's a, if the newer generation feels that way, or the things that they have to strive for or not. But you know, Janet, and then we'll go on to John. Oh no, sorry, John, John, and then on to Janet. Sorry. So, um, yeah, when I was watching that that the movie, I, I didn't necessarily put myself in those in, in that position in in either in either one of the uh, you know uh, characters um, positions, not the O'Neill character and not the Hampton character. Um, those I I'm not sure it serves um, a, a purpose to do so because. It's one of those instances where you'll you'll never know until you face a situation like that, right? Um, at nineteen, right, being in in a mind mindset that you're going to, I forget what they were going to uh, put them in, how long they were going to put them in prison for. Um, but if if you're nineteen and they're saying we're going to put you in prison for for double double your age, you know, double what your age is now. Yeah. Um, that, that's a, that's a pretty big uh, um, decision, you know, unless you do at, at that point, it didn't seem like the guy was, was interested in, in um, civil rights or anything, right. He was interested in boosting cars and, and, uh, and selling them and, and, and ripping off people and, you know, and the, you know, and those things. So he wasn't, he wasn't into uh if he was if he was for social justice, he wouldn't have been ripping off people's cars. Um, so you know, so he was in that in that mindset. Now there's somebody's telling him, Hey, listen, we got you. You know, you gotta you gotta go ahead and roll on this guy. And and if you do, we'll you know, if you play ball, that all goes away. 
who knows who knows if i was in that same not me as how i grew up but but me as in in that particular uh circumstance i i don't i don't necessarily engage in that type of thought because it's one of those things that you'll never know unless you're in that type of uh, um in that situation and same thing with the uh with hampton right and and um I'd like to think that that if I if I was during those times if I was uh, black or that I would be certainly engaged in the civil rights. Uh, I would like to think that if I was the color that I am now back then that I would be an ally um, to to the cause um, where where things maybe start to get a little a little blurry is when 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 um, when uh, crimes start to get um, crimes start to get committed, you know that 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 certainly puts a wrinkle in 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 the um, in the thought experiment, if you will, right? Am I am I willing to go ahead and and start shooting up people or killing people just just for the right to to or to as as a revolution? to try to bring rights to people. I don't know. Those, those questions perhaps are too, too heavy for me to want to explore. But again, <laughs> I, I'm whatever answer you, you come up with, I don't know if it has any type of uh, um, uh, credibility because we're doing it from, from the safety of our homes, from how we were brought up in, you know, 60, 70 years uh, after those, those events. So, um, you know, uh, I, I do, I do, however, have, uh, when you guys mentioned, um, that orange turd Trump, I do have some thoughts about what, what, um, and, and these, these people who, who, who raided the Capitol. Um, I was just talking to somebody yesterday and, and it seems to me like these guys, obviously most of them are going to get off scot-free, um, uh, the ones that don't are probably going to get a slap on the wrist and maybe they make an example of one or two. Um, but these are the, these are the, we made uh, as a, as a society, at least American society, we had made strides from those times that this movie um, during this movie, the, the times that takes place, this movie takes place. in, we'd made some strides not to, and racism, I'm not sure that's that's possible, but um, to at least inform society so that the general society knows, hey, um, racism is is bad, and those who are racist, yeah, it, to some degree, understood that and kind of kept it to themselves, right? And you didn't see the the type of of st- stuff that you were seeing in the past four years, forty forty five. Uh, you know, um, I don't even like to refer to him by his name, but 45 basically uh, took us back all the way to those times that this movie is, you take, you know, in the time that this movie takes place where people were perfectly fine telling you how racist they are and showing you how racist they are. You know, it's since time since then, man, these people were, 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 uh, were hidden and in the shadows because society wasn't 
society said, hey, this is bad. You shouldn't be like this. You know, so they had to hide That's it. That's why I worked had for to, the next to generations stay, to come. Because um, in the shadows. It's a ripple And this guy went and basically and took us all the way back effect. there. And, and he empowered these the, people the to basically to be like those that you see in the movie. And it's only where they just, time, they're fine the with calling the N-word and calling the cops on you for no good reason. You know. He, was, he basically set us back all that time. Um, I just hope that it doesn't take us another I mean, 70 it, to get to where really we, you know, to where we have been before this orange turn. Listen, if you want to march, let me know, because I'll definitely march. Because that made me so angry at the fact that it was just like, it was just uncalled for. It was uncalled for to do something like that for mm -hmm. eight minutes. You know, it, it, it's unbelievable. It, was it eight minutes or... A little over the eight yeah, minutes. It's, it's, that's that's crazy. Like, how do you just put your knee on someone's neck for? Yeah, and it's been happening for so long until somebody recorded it recently. Yeah, but back then we didn't have cameras like there is now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but e even crazy. when we even when we did have cameras like Rodney King and. Other situations that happen here in Los Angeles where there's uh, security footage inside of stores, it you can see somebody being killed, abused, you know, at the hands of another person. And just because that that individual happened to be black, um, there was no there was no appreciable sympathy or outcry for that person. You know, the fact that a 14-year-old girl can be shot point blank because the store owner thought she was trying to steal milk or candy or whatever, and she's found not guilty, um, that tells you something about how little your life is, is valued, your existence. And then the only way to receive, um, quote-unquote, equity is through a civil lawsuit. So then your plight, the loss of your family member, this... Um, this miscarriage of justice, this, you know, um, gets dismissed because it's like, well, at least the family got some money out of it. You know, like with the Breonna Taylor, when the whole, the way that things go down, you always have to be skeptical of it. So the fact that, you know, um, Breonna Taylor, the settlement, the civil settlement was announced a week prior to the AG's investigation. And they told you her family is getting so many millions. And then the following week, the AG tells you no charges to the officers in her murder, only for shooting into the other apartment. That is strategic. That is all goes hand in hand because then it softens the blow of what their decision is going to be because then people that are on the side of the investigation are going to be like, well, at least they got some money out of it. But that's not going to bring her back. It's also the amount of money that is given is not an incentive. I mean, that is paid out through the lawsuits. It's not an incentive for these things to stop happening at the hands of your local law enforcement because it continues to happen because it's not coming out of the police department's direct budget. If that were the case, after all the times that LAPD has had a a, has killed uh, somebody since Rodney King up until the pending investi investigations they have now, they would have done more than just like, we're no longer going to use the chokehold um, to to subdue um, 
you know, suspects. It would be much greater. The fact that the pen, that the payments have to come from the city or the county, that's why they don't feel it because there is no thing like saying we can't hire any more cops or give cops raises because it's coming out of LAPD budget or we can't buy tactical gear and new cars. That's why they don't feel it. You know, if that, you know, it's not like if I own the business, right? Um, and I keep on doing the same stupid things in my insurance, I has to pay out because I have slip and falls or whatever. Eventually I'm going to get dropped by my insurance because I am a careless, um, you know, owner of a business, but these, right. They're, they're going to be like, Oh, you're too negligent. And it's going to, and I'm never going to qualify. You know, it's going to get crazy, but these people, they can continue with their negligence because it doesn't affect their operation at all. If it was, and you can see that in other instances and in other corporations and how they deal with things. It's like, who pays out the money when it isn't the corporation that feels it to the effect where it cripples their future going forward, they have no motivation to change. You know, yeah, there could be, you know, you could have, you know, politicians wagging their fingers and like, we need to do better. We need to cut budgets. And then what happens? All the representatives come out on the street and rather than do their press conferences, like in South Central and eight and Watts and Compton and say, fewer cops means this, where do they go? They go to Beverly Hills. They go to the West side. They go where the money is and they start giving you the talking points of like fewer cops means more crime and your cars are going to get stolen. Your house is going to get broken into. If we have another Richard Ramirez, your grandma's going to get killed. So they strategically go to the places where the people fear that element and they're the ones that will come against like whatever decisions are being made and try to put pressure with their po- with their vote and their money so that certain actions don't happen. Going back to the film, what I did want to say is early on that interaction where the, the deal is offered to Will, it should be pointed out that he's 17. And I don't know if like, obviously we have to take a lot of freedom into what that interaction was, but the fact that this underage kid was arrested and it's like his parents weren't called in. He wasn't allowed to have a lawyer present or somebody to advise him about like, bro, don't do it. Like whatever, something Um, that also reflects a lot of what happens in these situations where uh, certain people get taken advantage of when they're dealing with police because they don't know their rights or because of what they're telling you, it's like, hey, seven years base versus a three-month operation. What do you think? And it's taken advantage of people in a moment where they are not, they have no advice. So you can also look into that and uh, see how now we do have a separation of how sometimes we treat young perpetrators versus adults. But that is also still tinged with what is the color of your skin? Look at Kyle Rittenhouse, that piece of shit, and how he's exceptions being made to his bullshit. But if that had been my kid, like he wouldn't have made it out of light of fucking, you know, Kenosha or whatever the fuck. Or the lady that decided to infiltrate into the Capitol building and decided, my family wants to take a trip to Mexico so I can get away from this all. I need permission from the judge to do it, and I just got it to be able to go over. 
you know, that it's ridiculous. That's why I look at it. I look at the, the dichotomy of it. It's like, yeah, people on this end, they're able to somehow get away with it. It looks like they're going to be getting, uh, many of them are going to get away with it. And then you have the other side of the, of the, of the divisive wall and how the, the hammer of justice came down upon them, whether um, fatally or, you know, criminally, you know, in terms of, you know, Fred Hampton and, all, and yeah. a lot of those people. I'm they, pretty sure... I'm pretty sure that was me walking out with like the podium from, you know, the, the Capitol building. I, I wouldn't be with you guys here tonight. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, I'd be, you, undis- I'd be an undisclosed location. I'd be like, what happened to her? Oh, no, no. You know what? They will allow you to have your organic meals. <laughs> and they'll tell you, they'll transport you to a special prison where you can only have your organic meals because you're starving yourself because you can't have organic fruits organic breads or anything of that nature you get Panera all you want no that nah I'll I'll be like I want steak and I want almond milk because you know the the guy 80 year old I need my mimosa 80 year old scotch 80 year old scotch you heard that guy with the horns the guy that went in with the horns the grand poobah horns basically he gets he started starving himself because he couldn't have organic meals at, at the prisons. That he, no, he had to have organic meals. No, he could. He wasn't getting them. So uh, he basically his mother complained to Fox News about that, and now they are giving him his organic meals on the right. No, I think they took that away. I mean, I, he was. I think he was give. You know, granted that. No, they they sent him to a new facility. I, I, John. I'm gonna fact check that. They yeah, they sent him to a new facility where they give it to him now. No, I'd go in. I'd go in. I'd be like, I have a special diet of, um, you know, Maine lobster, uh, uh, Kobe beef, wagyu wagyu steak, eighty year old scotch, um, non dairy, gluten free chocolate ice cream, and uh, you know, if you got any weed, hook it up. That's what I would ask, and that's how much I can get. I would just I would up the ante and see what I can get. I want my meals prepared by Chef John on the regular. <laughs> I, I think if they if uh, you have you have gotten the weed, I think the prison's going to be like, all right, give me half of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll split <it> with you. <laughs> you get a you get like an eighth at best. No, no, you get this the little roach of the clip. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm you get an eighth at best because they would be taking the rest of it. Is there anything this week that you guys um, were interested in talking about since it's been a while since we uh, recorded? I, I just gotta say something, uh, Jeanette. Why do you don't? Why don't you like? Um, this? There's no particular reason. It's not like oh, um, like it's not his style of play. It's not his character um, or anything. It's just you randomly dislike people because I don't know. You just dislike them. Uh, and that equates to whenever they fail, it, it makes you feel better about yourself. So um, he's one of those people that, you know, to see him in those moments to not succeed brings me great joy. Um, it's a weird psychology. So um, when I was on Yes, when I was on the Yes, Maybe No pod discussing the Super Bowls, I told Andrew Streeter and Yeti Blank that for a long time, I would always, uh, when during the 
when the Patriots made it to their Super Bowls, I would always root for Tom Brady because I knew it was the thing that would make people the most sad and upset. And to me, I was like, I will inject your tears of sadness and frustration into my veins in order to feel better. And I'm not a Patriots fan. I'm not a Tom Brady fan. So I would always root for misery if it makes you miserable, especially when I don't have a horse. If I don't have a horse in the race, it's even better. If it's like, like, uh, like when it was, uh, you know, World Series uh, Dodgers versus Tampa, if the Dodgers would have lost, I would not have taken it well the other way. If somebody told me like your unhappiness makes me happy, I would have just been, I would have gone crazy. But yeah, that's just my psychology. That's my psychology sometimes. And he's one of those people. There's others. Um, I wanted like uh, Pete Carroll. He's someone else too. If he, whenever him and the C's, Seahawks um, don't do well. That always makes me incredibly happy. Um, trying to think of anybody else. Uh, that that would that would just be those two. That would be those two. It's alright, Kevin. It's alright. Right. No, I like Russell Wilson. No, I like, no, I like Russell right. Wilson. I'll say that he is a great quarterback, Russell Wilson. To scramble like the way he does and to actually make the plays that he does, it's amazing. But um. I feel that way towards Boston fans. I really hate Boston and Boston fans. Oh, the Yankees and Boston rivalry. Let's go way back. <laughs> we, I, I can't stand Boston teams, but I really can't stand the Boston Red Sox. I just hate that team. I just, every, like those, those, just the World Series that we could have won because of Boston Red Sox, like in the past couple, like, uh, like, last two, almost years. like two decades you know mm-hmm. it, it was just like oh you freaking oh i hate you guys but you know it's not nothing we can really do about it <laughs> i mean athlete, i feel like with sports like athletes do everything most of the time i mean i'm staying the obvious but you know people always think like the coaches make like the biggest impact they make an impact but i don't feel like they make the biggest impact athletes really make the biggest impact with every game you know what i'm saying it's just the way they that they process everything and to have that quick reaction time for example messi i saw him score this amazing goal like not this weekend but last weekend where he hit the post and i thought it was gonna come out but i don't know how he made this goal that it actually went in and it trickled right in as he hit the post and the goalie couldn't do anything he you could see the look of dead inside when that when that goal went in it was un, it's unreal how he hit that post and it went in. I mean, they like, literally hit the one probability post, of just... Spun and hit the other post I, and trickled in. I, the probability of actually getting a goal like the way he did it last week was just like 99,000 out of one. Like, I mean, one out of 99,000. But it was unreal. It was, I was just like, how the hell? And the balls of this guy. I mean, like, the way he just shoots the ball right through the wall when there's a penalty... The balls on him just to make the the goal. I, I I still I'm like wow man, this guy is freaking ballsy as hell to make a shot like that. What are your favorite animated shows that you either grew up with or that you love have an affinity for? Starting off with, I guess we can start off with you, Kevin. We'll go the the opposite way. All right, so I feel like the animated series and the animated show that really made me laugh. But it's very, very intelligent show. It's Futurama. Futurama is definitely one of those shows that you go like, wow. And it, and and it's really highly intelligent. And the show is so funny. 
because Fry is such an idiot. And who else? The Dr. Zoidberg. Oh, you just watch the show because of him. I mean, he's such a moron. But um, the show has a lot. The show has a lot of elements. Like it's the show has made me sad in a few episodes. It's made me, you know, made me happy. And it, and I like the ending that they made it. Like it was just a continuous journey. Like it just had an ending without it having an ending. Like the, the series ended, but it could bring you could actually watch the series all over again because it didn't have a proper ending. It was open ending, and it restarted the whole entire animated series again. But I'm sorry if I spoiled anything. <laughs> I shouldn't say spoiler alert. <laughs> but um, another show to me, like I've just been watching like comedy shows. It's like South Park was one of my favorites. Uh, in the '90s, Beavis and Butthead. But you know, my parents were like, "No, you can't watch that." <laughs> um, and some anime, Japanese anime. But I will say, like I watched every single one. I like it, but I'm not like, oh man, I love it. You know what I'm saying? There's only a few that I can honestly say, like, I would collect and be like, wow, I could watch that again, you know? I think your favorite one of all time probably is Cowboy Bebop of all time. Oh, yeah, that's the best anime I've ever seen. John, going on to you? Um, So I'll, I'll just go with what's current in my, like, in my brain, because growing up, um, even as a young adult and uh, early adulthood, um, the, I... I loved um animated tv shows whether it was the simpsons or home movies or uh dr Katz. um i just loved them all ren and stimpy uh, all those things um but currently i think that that's still on the air uh and puts out uh new new shows i would have to say bob's burgers bob's burgers is um co- consistently puts out good content um even though some of it can be adult themed, um, I've watched it with my kids, and where they get they get kind of the sight gags, and but they don't truly understand some of the adult themed jokes. A la The Simpsons, you know, Simpsons also worked on those two levels. Uh, Bob's Bob's Burgers does a fantastic job. Uh, I think there's also um, the fact that it's H. John Benjamin's um, voice as bob uh has a has an attraction to me because some of these other shows that i've mentioned whether it's dr Katz or home movies has had him uh has had his voice prominently on the show uh what was another one that he did where um oh archer you know archer also it's uh I don't know if Archer is as successful as it is, if not for H. John uh, Benjamin's yes, I like Archer voice that he voices over for the uh, Archer character. So um, Sterling, I think it's Sterling Archer. Uh, so, but I, I would have to give. Uh, I agree with with Kevin that Futurama is fantastic, but but um, Futurama is fantastic, and for sure, anybody who hasn't seen it. Go watch it. It's super funny, super smart, as Kevin mentioned. Uh, the way they even bring in like physics and science into it, and they do these brief little um, uh, explanations of things, is fantastic. Uh, but for now, if you want to stay current and and watch something that's currently still on and producing content, uh, I would go with Bob's Burgers. So I'm going to skip over Jeanette for a particular reason, and she knows why. Sexism. 
my particular favorite, one of my favorite animated shows. If I'm not gonna go into anime, anime we can discuss on another time. But um, my favorite show is Recess. Oh, that was a good one. Recess was one of those shows that really showed you a caste system at, at play. It had adult jokes at times that only adults would get, but told through the eyes of kids at times. And there's one particular episode that I can like, think about that I absolutely love. It's the episode where they introduced Sal 9000, and it was a making, it was a parody of um, HAL 9000, but the movie is um, um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. And if you've ever seen 2001 A Space Odyssey, particularly with HAL 9000, it's, it's just the perfect parody of when technology, when you let technology run amok. And the, the, the cartoon, when they have Michael, Michael Dudikoff doing an, um, doing a, um, a, 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 an episode in there. It was absolutely such a great show that I, I particularly love. The, the themes in there about being a new kid in a new school, showing you like the caste system, whether there were like the kindergartners, which were always like little savage beasts. And then as you see the progressive of age, it was such a very funny, smart show for, for all generations to watch. Now, the reason why we're asking about animated shows is because I would like to know, Jeanette, what is, what is your favorite animated show and what's its impact on you and why? Uh, well, I have two, and it's the function of not being someone that had a cable growing up. So, shout out to growing up poor. Woohoo. Uh, number one is a sit. Number one is The Simpsons. Uh, I did reach that point where I just stopped watching, where it's, you know, it stopped being funny and, you know, like anything, I guess, from maybe the past 10 years or so. I, I don't know. Um, so everything, I think, up until maybe season 13 or 14, I don't know. That That's where I'm at. So Simpsons, when it was still rough drawn, I'm all about that life. Uh, and then secondly, it's King of the Hill. These are two shows that uh, on a regular, I will quote, I will send gifts or memes, something to friends, family, relatives, coworkers. One of the things I miss the most about um, going to work is my coworker, um, Michael. He and I, we would always like, go back and forth with lines. So instead of saying good morning to each other, it would be like, you know, he would just look at me and be like, I don't know you, that's my purse. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, yep. Like, you know, at the beginning, they'd be like drinking their uh, beer, yep. And then everybody's like, yep. <laughs> Let go of my purse, I don't know you. Mike is such a funny dude, man. You know, like when he made Idiocracy, Oh, yeah, or like in the summer when we're uh, grilling, uh, if I post like a picture of uh, like, oh, we did carne asada, he'll be like, like, was that from the Wagner King 3000 propane and what kind of accessories? So that's what he would always like text me with. 
So that's like one of the things that I miss is that interaction. So whenever, if I mention something from it, either an obscure um, show line or a popular one, or uh, and someone kind of responds to it, I always am just like, you're my brother. We're like, we'll get along. We can look past, you know, economic, racial, societal, um, gender, um, all kinds of issues. I can find a bridge with you unless you're an Astros fan, then it doesn't matter. Like go kick rocks. But yeah, that is a bridge for me to build friendships with people. Um, I would say 99% of the time. So yes, King of the Hill. Love it. And you love it too. <laughs> Bum- Bumitando, diarrhea, Dolores del Estomago. Narrow, narrow urethra. Spazania is that you know? Is it spaghetti? It's spaghetti, right? No, no. Peggy and it? meatballs. A Peggy and meatballs. That's the one. That's right. I'm watching an episode of season nine of Simpsons where um, Grandpa Simpson and uh, Marge's, I think it's Marge's aunt, and they were in a car with Homer and, and Marge, and Grandpa Simpson's trying to hit on the aunt. So the aunt goes like, "In your dreams," and the Grandpa Simpson's like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> that was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. He's like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna sleep. <laughs> of course. No, but uh, King of the Hill I, is a show that we all have an affinity for. Uh, Boomhauer, bro. Boomhauer yes. is hilarious. <laughs> I love when he calls a ball strike. When he's doing the baseball game, he's the umpire, he goes, ball one. <laughs> who how is the funniest person i don't want to spoil who's my favorite character but i think we're we can pretty much tell who it is now no, bobby for me though bobby is so funny bobby hill is hysterical like the way he Bobby's makes great. heck hill feel all the time like he's always like disappointed but he really loves his son and <laughs> <laughs> that like, oh my god, really, bro? Like, don't do this, man. You can embarrass me, <laughs> type of thing. Because <laughs> uh, you know it's funny because like when Bobby gets like, the my gout brother, because he's my brother and I, like, oh the Christian, the Christian rock episode, to justify him. <laughs> like my brother and I, like, is like kind of like Bobby Hill and Hank Hill type of relationship, where he's like, where he'll say something smart. And I have to say something stupid, and he's like, "Oh God, Kevin, just stop." <laughs> but yeah, that boy ain't right. The, rela- <laughs> the relationship with his dad, uh, who doesn't have shoes, <laughs> and um, uh, Bobby. Yeah. Uh, that's so. The reason funny. why I was asking you about animated shows is because Jeanette, I believe you have some special some news you would like to break. Where's the breaking news sounder? Dun dun dun. I believe John is the one with the soundboard, so let's see if he can pull something we'll up for make, us. We'll put the reggaeton horns. I have the soundboard, but uh, offline we're gonna have to take. We're gonna have to make up these uh, what we want on the soundboard, so we can just toss them in. Otherwise, we're gonna have to do it in post. <laughs> this is the closest thing to you to the. Movie horn. There you go. Or uh, the reggaeton horn. Uh, you want, you want, <laughs> want this one? <laughs> 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 oh, 
this is the first time we record with actual watching each other, and Jeanette's reactions to these things are priceless. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I believe our next episode, we're going to sit down with um, a couple of good friends of ours, Yeti Blanc of Yes Maybe No Pod, and Jeff from Lauer After Hours, and we are going to do a deep dive into King of the Hill. So we will be talking about why we love the show, our favorite episodes, our favorite characters, favorite lines. Um, any fan theories that are out there for the show so if you are a propaniac um, a Spapegi and meatball aficionado uh, please join us we are going to endeavor to bring a fire episode and yeah don't tune in please Jeanette have you seen a recent episode of King of the Hill Kevin, King of the Hill's been canceled. No, no, I'm saying like recently. If you've seen any old episodes recently, that's what I mean. She's either. Oh, yes. So I was in the middle of um of what of uh, doing a binge, and the last episode that I watched was oh my god, what was it? Uh, shoot. So I'm in season ten, and the last episode was when. Khan builds the pool, but uh, what's the guy's name? Oh my god, um, the the other Loatian man convinces him to join their fledgling militia group so that they can eventually evade invade Laos, and uh, he pretty much does it because he's like wants to gain his favor and he like wants to join the country club. And because uh, he's like always putting him down and saying like you're a banana because you're materialistic, you've gone is away it from Ted what it is to be the ocean. So that's the last episode that I saw. Yes, Ted was on the song. I knew it was something long and complicated. Yeah, I, I I'm so a, sorry. Uh, an episode of King of the Hill where Bobby, yeah, where Bobby Super Bowl week, Peggy and Hank went to Peggy's family's farm up there. And that episode was so funny because all these cows were stampeding and they had like these rules changed. It was one of the funniest episodes because it was just like, like Peggy's mom was never satisfied of what she does, but she knows that she can get things done. Like Peggy can get things done in her way. And every time she tries to impress her mom, her mom plays this, uh, plays like a gimmick of like, oh no, he's not doing it right. You gotta do it like this, you know? And she's never satisfied of Peggy. Sounds like a Dominican mom. <laughs> but the thing is, it's like, it's an incredible episode because it shows you why, like, uh, why, why they come back, why they came back. And the ending of the episode, I don't want to spoil it because, it, but it makes you realize, wow, like, like Hank, Hank is really proud of his son. It really, it really shows you he's really proud of his son, his son, but he won't demonstrate it all the time. That's yeah. what I like about it. I think you know the episode I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Oh, you saw the episode. I got a different take on that. I mean, I don't think he's proud of him uh, most episodes. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm sure I did. I, um, but in most of the episodes, 
he's not proud of him like uh, at all. Zero. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's so disappointed because <laughs> you know Hank Hill was a, a jock. Bro. It was a meathead. Like, like uh, he was a bro. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I think Bill, to- yeah, I think Bill Tree is more of a so meathead. Hey, hey, fat kid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he'll be lo- laughing at people. And stuff like that. Yeah, but, but it, it's such a funny, it's such a funny show. It's, it really is. It's like one of those shows that really, I didn't, I didn't really appreciate it until I got older. And I think that's what it is because you're thinking like when you see the commercials, like the commercials really sell it, like it's a goofy show, but it's not. It's like almost, it's, it's more like, like family funny show. It's like really, it's like. How can I say that's, like, that's, a, a family sitcom episode on TGIF but on steroids? Like, that's how funny it is. And I think that's what makes a show timeless is when you can have jokes for both young people and old people and older people and all these different age ranges that you target that you don't have one set target age range that you have more of a spectrum of them. And I think that's what makes a, a, a show great. It doesn't necessarily need to. Be set for one set of people, but multiple sets of people. And is there anything else you want to say before we close this episode out, Kevin? Eh. Welcome to Costco. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta watch Idiocracy in order to get that. What's the guy's name who who plays? I think the trumpet who lives in the in the Costco or in the big mart. Uh, and they replay that music. Chuck Mangione. Mangione. That's the guy. Oh, I love. And I love that song. I love that song. Feels so good. <laughs> the it, it, other song that they put me on to is, um, what is that song? Life in a Northern Town. The one where Buckley goes to heaven. But hey, oh, mom. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, it's been a long time. God, such a great show. Yeah. But good I, times, man. Good times. Well, Kevin, thank you for joining us on this episode, yeah, episode number five of Talking Jays. I'm glad you invited me this time. I didn't want to do the show for a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm thank you guys for inviting me again, and I hope to see you guys pretty soon. Thank you. And yes, thank goodbye. you. Talking Jays is a Triple J production.